0: You're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Hey guys, it's Randy Gage. I've written 11 books on prosperity and success so far. Uh, But this podcast, it's a way for me to connect with you on an audio platform. So I'm looking forward to sharing the prosperity journey together with you here. Hey guys, Randy Gage here and we have a really special episode of the Power Prosperity podcast today. As you know, it's kind of the, the format's really just RG on the mic. I try and put up the Prosperity TV every week. And when I do a live event where we record the speech, I just want to give it to you unedited. And then sometimes I'm doing just original content for you guys, some thoughts to share that I think are important about how you manifest prosperity and success in your life. And I'm not really going the interview route like most podcasts seem to do. Uh, But when there's somebody really special, something really earth shattering that I want you to know about, I'm going to do that. And that's what we're doing today. Because I have a gentleman who's really been instrumental in creating a movement around the world, a movement of influence. And he is the co author with John David Mann of the Go Giver book series. Uh, And there's been a number of these, each one better than the previous one. Uh, The first one is now, I think, over 700,000 copies sold around the world. Uh, And the Go Giver movement is denting the universe. And of course, I'm talking about the lovely and talented. Bob Berg and I brought him on to share with you today because uh, he and John have just released today the go-giver influencer and I think this is the best book yet of the series I got to read a galley proof a month or two ago I was mesmerized. I told Bob then this book is going to sell more than a million copies. It's just going to, it's going to storm the universe. And so it was released this morning and, um, I got to tell you, it's just crushing it. Uh, I looked on uh, Amazon and it was number one in like three different categories, audio and book and everything. So I brought on that co-author to share some thoughts with you on influence. So welcome, Bob. Hey, Randy. Great to be with you, my brother. Hey, so let's begin with influence. Why is this important. There, I think people who are in sales probably think, hey, I need to be influential. People in marketing probably think, I need to be influential. I don't know if people in a lot of other professions realize how important influence mm-hmm. is. What's your thoughts on that? That's a great
1: point because we are all influencing all the time. Now, we may do it effectively or ineffectively, right? Mm-hmm. We may attract people or we may repel people, but one way or another, we're, we're influencing. And mm-hmm. so whether, huh? Yeah, I was just nodding along. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, whether it's a, a product, a service, an idea, a concept, a philosophy, uh, uh, you know, look at what you do with prosperity and, and uh, how you have taken that and you've really created that, that movement and how many people have bought into what you call the memes and mind viruses right that you've exposed us to that you've told us about and they said you know what i didn't realize i was doing that that totally unconscious uh totally ingrained from environment and upbringing and you know tv and movies and all these things but now look how they get a hold of that and they understand it because before we can before we can correct anything about ourselves, we first have to understand that there's something that we need to work on. Otherwise, we're not going to try. And it takes an influencer to to do that, to plant those seeds, to, to put that out there. And then through that, it spurred a movement, uh, you know, a prosperity movement uh, of its own. And I know that whenever I'm speaking uh, at a sales event, a leadership event, what have you, and I talk about the fifth law of the go-giver from the original book, The Law of Receptivity, I say you've got to um, subscribe to Randy Gage's Prosperity TV, read his prosperity blog, get his prosperity books. So, and I'm not saying this just to kiss up or anything. I'm saying this is how, this is what influence is. Because I'm not Randy Gage, but you have influenced me to influence others. And this is really what we're talking about. And this is what a movement is. And so if you have a philosophy, if you have a product, a service, something you want to get out there, if you, it can be the best in the world. But if you cannot influence others, if you cannot move them to action in both an effective and an appropriate way, nothing's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I think we always said growing up, in our generation, right? Hey, if if you really do build a better mousetrap, the the world will beat a path to your door, which I don't know, Thoreau or whoever said it originally a century ago, but that was kind of the mindset that, hey, just go out and do the right thing, build a good product, build a good service. And But that's not the case in the world anymore. There is so much competing. There's so much white noise out there. I know companies with amazing products Mm -hmm. that are going bust and I think it's because they don't know how to influence whether we're talking about regular marketing whether we're talking about social media marketing and their web presence but there's just so much I mean how many I must I, I, I don't even know on my cable channel but there must be almost a thousand channels now Uh, I grew up with four. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a thousand now and then there's billions of websites and so many newsletters and everything. It it is a way for people to kind of cut through some of that. Right. If you really are a person of what you would call genuine or ultimate Mm -hmm. influence.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and that allows you. To make a difference. And I yeah, you know, I think about that mouse trap theory. And it's just, you know, it's one of those it sounds like it should be the case, right? If the world was fair, then those people who built the better mouse trap would attract you you do that. There will be people, don't get me wrong, you build a better mouse trap, there will be people beating a path to your door, but those people will be bill collectors.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Um so What do you say to the people who say, is this manipulation you're doing or is this uh,
1: benevolent? Right, right. And that's that's such a great question because let's face it, influence, which on a, a very, very basic level can be defined as the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. Uh, and while I don't believe that's the essence of influence, it is the definition of influence. And as such, it simply means it's a principle. And like any principle or universal law, it simply is. it's not bad or good by its very nature. It simply is. Uh, you know, we use the the uh, analogy of gravity, right? It is it it's a universal law. It on on Earth, gravity works. You can you can believe it you can deny it but there's no way you're changing it it just does now is it good or bad it depends gravity is good when it keeps you from floating aimlessly up into space it's bad when you're walking off a seven-story building okay and it's the same with influence uh one can influence move people to action through manipulation which is you know force fraud control intimidation right the negative ways or they can move people through persuasion which is the benevolent and beneficial way for everyone now the two of them because both a, both a manipulator and a persuader Randy each of them understands human nature they understand what motivates people what moves people And they understand the principles, but that's so they're, they're cousins, if you will, but, but one's the evil cousin, right? Manipulation's Mm -hmm. the evil cousin, Uh, persuasion's the good cousin. I think the best definition, not definition, but explanation of the the difference, uh, I read in a book that was written in 1987 by Dr. Paul W. Sweats, The name of the book was The Art of Talking so that people will listen, though it was much more about listening than it was about talking. And in this book, uh, Dr. Sweat described it this way. Manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. It does not consider the good of the other party. It results in a win-lose situation. In direct contrast to the manipulator, the persuader always seeks to advance the other person's position. Uh, people are uh, are treated as responsible self directing individuals so they they respond uh in a positive way randy here 's what it comes down to I think i mean it begins with intent but but a a manipulator won't isn 't necessarily trying to hurt anyone but if that 's what it takes to get for them to get their way, they will do so in other words it 's all about them they are totally i Focused with a manipulator that can never, I mean, with a persuader that can never happen because for a persuader to feel good about themselves and about the situation, they've got to know that you also feel good about the situation and that you have genuinely also advanced or become better off as a result of this transaction. So a manipulator can have employees, but certainly not a loyal team. A manipulator can make the sale, but very rarely have, have ecstatic customers and almost never referrals. And a manipulator can have a family who they love and who loves them, but rarely is it a, a happy, functional family. So, you know, a manipulator can get, hey, if they're good enough, they can, at what they do, they can get short-term results, but not long-term, whereas a persuader can get both. A persuader gets short-term results and also long-term results.
0: That's a great definition of that. If people see how the manipulator equals control, where the influence or the persuader leads to cooperation and joint uh, beneficial outcomes. That kind of intrigues me in the kind of the underlying f- story of the book is these two people who are both uh, negotiating a business deal, they're on two sides of a deal, and they seem like they're ir- ir- irreconcilable, that this is just a conflict. and. Person A wants this outcome, which is diametrically opposed to person B <laughs> who wants that outcome. But in actuality, the book uh, finds a common ground that's really amazing. So uh, this is really, I think it's like the, the, a clinic on business or even any kind of negotiation. Yeah, Would you agree? Uh, thank
1: oh thank you I mean that that means a lot to me that you would say that because that is really what we have tried to to uh, bring forth in this because we see so many people Randy who in these days I mean uh, you know again as you've said you know check your Facebook or your your uh, Twitter and you see not only people disagreeing not only are there differences but people just look at that other person not as having a different opinion but being the enemy being evil being some and and what we want to do is not ask people to compromise so, you know we as one of the characters one of the mentors in the story told his protege uh, jillian he said compromise comes from the greek word for no one gets what they want and nobody's happy right which it doesn't really but but come from that word but it could <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and and in compromise in and of itself, it, by its very definition, is lose-lose, right? It means each party is giving up something that they want in order to placate or please the other person. So it's somewhat self-sacrificial in, in nature, even though that's not why you do it. Um, on the other hand, rather than, than compromise, we talk about collaboration, collaboration expands the pie. It, it takes one plus one and helps it to equal three, which of course is the essence of any free market-based exchange where no one is forced to do business with anyone else. Both parties come away more profitable after the transaction than they were before the transaction. And that's what Jillian what and Jackson needed to see. And it wasn't going to happen because each of them was focused only on themselves and ascribing, you know, evil uh, uh, to the other person. They just could not understand where this person was coming from. No, they couldn't because they didn't know enough to focus on doing that.
0: Yeah, so listeners, Jillian and Jackson are two protagonists in the story with these two different negotiation outcomes. And the story is a fable or a parable. And I guess parable is the right word. Uh Uh-huh. So full disclosure, I hate parables. I'm one of these people, you know, rational, logical, analytical person. I just want a textbook that says, okay, here are the 16 steps for negotiation. Here is the way or influence. Here are the actions you should take. Um, So I don't, that's, I don't like parables as a rule, but I, when there when there is one that's amazing, I love them like The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, and oh, I love and that also book. yeah, and also what you and John David Mann have done here with this book. This book is is perfect in a parable form. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, what would you tell? so the people who are listening who hate parables like me? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you tell them and and kind of share why you guys chose the parable route for this series and and how you think that helps the reader doing that versus the other kind of books like you you have done
1: yeah because I'm a how-to writer I'm certainly not a parable writer but fortunately I got to team up with John David Mann and Randy you've been friends with John for a long time and and and, you know back in the day before the go-giver came out there was a small group of us who knew John David Mann was a genius writer and storyteller. He was the ghostwriter behind a couple of really big books. Uh, but few people really knew who he was. Now you go into a, a bookstore, they still have some of those around, the bricks and mortars type, and you'll see five or six books uh, on the New York Times bestseller list that John is either the co-author of or the ghostwriter of, and you don't even know he's part of it. Yeah. But back then, not many people did. Fortunately, I knew who he was, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he agreed to do this. So he's the lead writer. So I would tell someone, if you usually don't like parables, that's okay. But John David Mann's the lead storyteller, and, and uh, he, can, he can tell a story. The reason we do these in story form, Randy, is because stories, you know, there's an old saying that I think is half true, and that is facts tell, stories sell. I don't think stories sell. I think stories connect. They connect on a heart level. They connect heart to heart. Once you have that connection with someone, now the selling can start. And and people are much more likely to bring it in. And and I you know, it's funny because I'm like you. I'm very logical. I want five steps of this and three steps of this. Again, I'm a how-to writer, but I enjoy parables. I you know, I'll read a parable and just wow, that story just really touched me and I want to Put this to action, and it seems like so it 's really kind of a, a, a unique thing, but um, you know I just hope that that people enjoy the story I, I know they 'll enjoy john 's uh, magic that he weaves, but uh, yeah so that, so that 's really why we we did it. We wanted to to share something that we felt that the world needed right now mm-hmm. and, uh, and that we we hope
0: they embrace is there what what is the dynamic of how it might help people lower their defenses uh, or yeah. personalize and, and maybe like I find in my boot camps that the people who are not on my hot seats mm-hmm. learn the most from the, the hot seats on other people, right? Cause they are able to sit back, see it at 35,000 feet right. and not personalize it, not get defensive. Is it a similar dynamic you think when people are reading a parable with, with, real world lessons in it like this yeah
1: i th- i think they can they can see the characters and they can feel they can empathize with the characters especially where they see some similarities and we we always try to make at least one of the characters in this story we did two of them instead of, of one so there are there's there are two proteges and two mentors instead of the usual one but we always try to make the protege the every person right Mm-hmm. Uh, so that we can all kind of relate because we've all been there, right? We were all Joe or Josephine at some time, the the person, the go-giver. As a, a new leader, we've all been Ben, who was the the person in, in that story. And then we've all been Jillian and Jackson when it comes to trying to understand another person who we just can't seem to get through to and just get frustrated. So, uh, so yeah, I think that 30,000-foot view and at the same time, seeing them as being relatable really helps move the story forward.
0: Uh, so somebody who's just discovering you, hard to believe, but there's got to be 11 <laughs> or 12 people around the world who haven't discovered you yet. Um, and they're wondering, do I need to go back and read these other go-giver books first, or do, does it make a difference, or can I parachute in direct to this one? Uh, what would you say to them?
1: Oh, that—that's a great question. Uh, it, each of the stories stands on its own. You could read any one of them without having to read the other, uh, but we do put in a few. For example, in this story, it's one of the one of the places where one of the mentors meets one of the proteges is in a restaurant, uh, based on one one of the characters in the first story. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so there's mentions back. So the people who've read the other ones. We'll kind of get the inside joke, but no, you don't have to. All the stories themselves are self-containing. So we, we made sure, uh, because we knew there'd be people who'd be reading this one who, who will not have read at least one of the others mm-hmm. and we wanted to create a comfortable context for them to, to enjoy it. So no, they don't, they don't have to read the, uh, the other ones to, to get everything
0: out of this one. Yeah, and there will be a bunch of new ones because this book will sell more than a million copies. This will be your oh, biggest thank book you. yet.
1: Well, and I, I just love the fact that you love the book because you know how much respect I have for you and and the fact that you you know speak so highly of it means a lot to me.
0: Yeah, and you guys listening who've read some of the earlier books, remember now you've got to be looking for the Easter eggs in this one. <laughs> uh, so um, giving them some of the actual... Uh, influence techniques and and principles from the book, Uh, you've got five secrets of what you would say were, let's say this genuine influence. One of those is mastering your emotions. Right. Um, And you have something that you call the seatbelt principle of emotions. Would you share with people what you mean by that? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, as you know, we are emotional creatures. It's how we're built. It, It just how we're, we're made. And so, we, we'd like to think we're logical, and we are in certain ways, but we're pretty emotionally driven. We make major decisions based on emotion, and we back up those decisions with logic. We, we rationalize, uh, which if you break up the word in two, it simply means we tell ourselves rational lies. And we do this to justify that emotional decision that we know we shouldn't have made and was not productive or helpful, uh, or for reacting in, in anger when we knew going in this person pushes our buttons and, and we need, you know, should not have let that happen. So what we say is, and people might ask, well, so are you saying we should rid ourselves of our emotions? Of course not. First, that wouldn't be logical, right? We, we couldn't. It would, be, it, it would be contrary to human nature. Uh, no, and there's no reason to deny your emotions. We just need to master our emotions and, and make sure we're mastering them as opposed to they mastering us. And one of our great friends, Dondi Scumaci, and, and you know Dondi, she inspired this by uh, what she said, and that is, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but mm-hmm. make sure you are driving the car. In other words, your emotions need to be in the passenger side. Seatbelts fastened. You need to be driving the car. And that's a personal responsibility we all have.
0: Yeah. And for you guys who read my blog, you know, I'm always talking about how you have to become the thinker of the thought. And I think this is the way Bob and John uh, paint that picture in this uh, book in in this method of influence and, and how we get, uh, how emotions can influence the influencer, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, and for you guys who are saying, where do I get this? By the way, it's on Amazon already. It's a bestseller already. And the go com has, uh, all the details about the book and all the places to buy it. Lots of great content. Uh, so I wanted to put that in there. Um, Another thing people learn of a skill is when you say to set the frame yes. and, and, and you also talk about resetting the other person's frame. Can you explain how, how, why that's important to people who want to yeah. become influencers?
1: Randy, setting the frame is so important when you set a proper frame or as you said, reset uh, a, a negative frame. Uh, of someone else is you're 80% of the way there. Uh, a frame first to define, you and I both, we love to define terms and make sure we're operating from the correct premise. So uh, mm. a frame is simply the foundation from which everything else transpires. One of my favorite stories, now I don't know how many times I've repeated this, this story from stage. It, it, it remains my favorite. I was at a Dunkin' Donuts and enjoying some coffee and a book. And uh, I wasn't eating the book, I was drinking the coffee and reading a book. <laughs> and I felt like Rachel Marx when I said <laughs> uh, uh, And there was a, a little boy, a little toddler, probably two, two and a half years old, who was running around the restaurant and his parents called him over to the table. He starts to walk over when he, he takes a spill on the floor, he slips and falls. He doesn't hurt himself, you can tell, but you can also tell he is shocked. He is surprised. He did not expect that to happen. What's the first thing he does? He looks over to his mom and dad, the two people he trusts most in the world, to get their interpretation of the event. The event Mm -hmm. was the event. He wanted Mm -hmm. to know what's next.
0: How am I, I supposed to react?
1: Exactly. And I think... Randy, I, I totally believe that had the parents gotten upset and panicky, you know, oh, no, are you all right? I think you would have started to cry. But they handled it just so beautifully. They, you know, they walked over calmly. They had smiles on their face. They began to applaud and laugh and say, oh, what a great trick. That looks like so much fun. Mm-hmm. And immediately the little boy began to to laugh. Well, what the parents did is they set a productive frame from which he could operate. We can do the same thing in any situation, transaction, meeting, what have you, with another person. It could be as simple as a genuine inside-out smile when you see them. Uh, It might be someone walks into a room, you're talking with some people, and so you simply open your body language. So it's a frame of, you're welcome to join our conversation. Okay. That's the easy part. The difficult part is when someone else comes at it from an already negative frame and Mm -hmm. we need to be able to reset that. Just give you a a very, very quick example. This also happened a, a couple of years ago. I was, I was pulling my car into a, a, uh, uh, hotel parking space, and I was not paying attention as I should have, and I nearly clipped a guy as he was getting out the driver's side of his car. Uh, he, he was scared. He was shy. You know, I stopped him plenty of time, but he was still really startled. He was really ticked is what he was, and he shot me just the nastiest, most horrible look. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was coming from obviously an anger frame. I'm not saying I blame him, you know, it was my, but people, we, different people react to different stimuli in different ways. Um, now, had I bought into that frame, I may have given him a look, what, what are you, you know, and he might've said, watch where you are going, You watch where you're, gonna <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I've never found those things to turn out really well. right and i don't want any part of something like that if i don't have to and here's what i did rather than buying into his frame of anger i immediately put my hand up in sort of a waving motion i had a a smile of friendly apology on my face and through the windshield I, i went sorry and immediately he went no problem Okay. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we simply reframed a situation from, from two adversaries or potential adversaries into allies. You know, the, the sages asked who is a mighty person? And they answered that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy, a friend. Mm. And that's really what it's about when we're talking about influence. Now, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, in this actually, this quote is from The Art of War the, by the military strategist uh, Sun Tzu, That's who's credited as having written it. No one really knows if he did, but we, we assume he, he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and written over 5,000 years ago. And, and here's what he wrote, Randy, and this to me is what framing is all about. He wrote, The peak efficiency of knowledge and strategy is to make conflict unnecessary. And that's what a frame does. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when conflict is necessary, and we need to be able to handle it. And that's also what we talk about, and that's fine. But most times, con- conflict is unnecessary. And when you can frame the situation correctly, you you get that you you take that 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 conflict
0: out of the picture before it ever begins. Yeah, I and mean, that's what a powerful powerful turnaround that is. Uh, I want to give those websites again, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, all the major booksellers. It, the book was actually released, depending on when you're listening to this. I know sometimes people are listening to these five years later. Uh, <laughs> April 10th, 2018, and that is actual launch day for the book. So it's right now in all of the all great booksellers and sites. And then, of course, the gogiver.com Um Anything else? I, I guess by just say final thoughts, what, what would you say to the, the people listening that you really think is critical or some takeaway you want them to get from the book or just some final words you would share with yeah. them?
1: You know, I'd say that influence, in a sense, is really about understanding and respecting human nature. And doing things in such a way that really brings out the best, both in ourselves and others. And I I think Dale Carnegie really nailed it about 80 years ago in his classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People, when he said, and I believe this was the underlying premise of his book, it's where he said, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. And when we remember that, and I think the the genuine influencer who understands that the essence of influence is about pull, not about push, it's about attracting others to you and then to your ideas they they ask themselves questions to check their own um, their own premises and check um. Uh, to make sure their focus is in the right place. So they ask questions like to themselves, like, "How how does what I'm asking this other person to do, how does it align with their goals, with their needs, their wants, their desires? How does what I want this other person to do, how does it align with their values? And when asking ourselves these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, Uh, genuinely, authentically, again, not as a way to manipulate another person into doing our will, but as a way to build everyone in the process. Now we've come a lot closer to being that that influencer we all have the potential to be.
0: Love it. All right, guys, listening, know that if you've got a teen who is building a dream board or a prosperity manifestation map, this is an amazing book for them. If you've got a college or high school graduation uh, kit coming up, this is a great book for them. Uh, and for you, if you're into prosperity and success, and how can I make a difference in in the world and just, tilt the universe just at least one millimeter of one percent this is an amazing book for you uh bob the, the you're obviously a, a a consummate professional speaker and, and spoke all over the world uh, i imagine you you're going to if you haven't already developed a, a speech keynote or a seminar on this uh have you done that? And if so, what's the what's the perfect audiences uh, that to, to that a meeting planner could bring you in? What's the great audience for this this message?
1: Yeah, and and definitely, I have a a talk on this genuine influence, the go giver way, and um, really, you know, I speak for a lot of corporate audiences, and I always enjoy those sales audiences are always fantastic. I I love. Ah, uh, direct sales audiences. Those are my favorites. I, think I and I just love the energy and how how welcome they make you feel. So, uh, you know, any anything like that, I always enjoy uh, getting a chance to visit and share
0: with. All right. Well, guys, remember the dot or just Burg, burg.com, dot com, Amazon, B and N, all of the usual suspects. Uh, Mr. Berg, as always, it's such a pleasure and I'm so grateful that you were able to come on and share some thoughts on influence uh, with the gang. And you guys listening, thanks for being part of this. Jump out and buy this book because it's amazing. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more great prosperity teaching, check out my blog on randygage.com. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Insta, YouTube, and just about everywhere else. I'll see you on the journey.